0: We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Today we are concluding a series we've been doing um, called The Truth Is. The Truth Is, and in this series we have been looking at the importance of what God says is true about the world. Some things that are true whether we want them to be or not. You may not believe in the laws of nature, but if you jump off a cliff... It doesn't matter what you believe about gravity. Gravity will have its way regardless. You may not think that COVID-19 is real, but if you get close enough to the virus, the effects can be devastating. And it's worth taking the time to know what is true about God and what is true about the world. It builds our trust in God, and it gives us the confidence to encourage others to know God too. So in week one, we looked at how do we know what we know? The process of revelation. In week two, we saw that heaven is real, and we will spend eternity either with or apart from God. Last week, Warren talked to us about evil and how that is a big deal in our world. We might think, we might think that knowing the truth in these areas, not that important, but actually knowing it. Knowing what is real changes the way that we see the world. I've got a friend who is an atheist, and we had a good chat one day over the problem of evil. I was startled to discover that actually he didn't think such a thing as evil existed at all. He said, no, there's no such thing as evil. Instead, he promoted what he called a utilitarian humanism where uh, anything that brought human progress was good. In his view, something like war was actually helpful and it's it caused an increase in innovation and invention and that we wouldn't have otherwise had the progress that we've had in so many areas if it wasn't for war. So wars, why would you define that as evil? Well, uh, might be a few reasons. Uh, the problem is if there is no evil, then moral- morality is subjective and ideals like human rights and justice have no basis. And injustice is the outcome. What we believe about the world matters. Truth matters. So this morning we're going to look at one more truth that Jesus revealed that is essential for us to understand and it's also an excellent topic for us to discuss with those who don't know Jesus. The truth we're going to discuss this morning is that God's love is central to life. God's love is central to life. Now, if you were to talk to someone about the purpose of life, what might they say? I remember talking to a young person about this once, and he told me that the purpose of life is to have as much fun as you can, as long as you can. And actually, many people reflect this idea, that life is about enjoyment. That's what life is about. And there is some truth to this. The book of Ecclesiastes shows that we should enjoy this life. However, my young person and the writer of Ecclesiastes and many people in our world had not met Jesus. So what he reveals is that life is worth so much more than that. He reveals that the purpose of life is love. Let's read these verses in Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, and he mentions this thing called the Shema, which is uh, the ancient prayer of Israel. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And most people are okay with this. The idea of love being important is attractive to others. They might even say, All you need is love. (laughs) Cue the music. Now, the funny thing is, when um, I was searching the song during the week, My daughters were listening along and they go, I know that song, it's from Beat Bugs. And there's a Netflix show now that the kids are watching, listening to all these Beatles songs and they're going, no, that's not an old song that granddad likes, that's actually a new song. Uh, But immediately, so all you need is love, right? This is such a big idea in our world, that love is so important. But immediately we run into a problem. And the problem, I think, is a problem of definition. How do you define love? In The Princess Bride, the, a great movie, one of the characters keeps uttering the word inconceivable to things that happen, which eventually forces Inago Montoya to say this, I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's so true when it comes to love. We can say the word love and mean completely different things, can't we? We can love so many different things. In fact, the most Googled question of 2012, what is love? People are interested in this question. They're desperate for real love. And the truth that we discover, the way we, def- uh, we define love, will define our lives. It makes a massive difference. There's a scene in The Simpsons where what appears to be an alien arrives and says, I bring love. The response from one of the onlookers, Dr. Hibbard, is, is that the love of a man for a woman or the love of a fine Cuban cigar? as if that was the full breadth of what love can be. It's either a physical connection or enjoyment in a thing. And there's a basis to many ideas about love, and it's this. If we don't feel something, then it's not real love. It's also not just a matter of definition. It's also a question of where did love come from in the first place. And these are two great questions that you can ask people. Because you know love will be important in their life. And you say, well, your life, you think life life is about love? Great, so do I. But let me ask you this, what is it? And where did it come from? Here's uh, an important thing for us this morning, is that I think love evades modern methods of finding truth. The way we find out what is true is known technically as epistemology. Now stick with me here. We're going to go to school just for a little bit. Uh, And the good news is that if someone asks you tomorrow, what did you do on the weekend, you can say, well, I went to this really uh, fascinating talk about the way love evades modern epistemological approaches. (laughs) And they'll just think, you're weird. Or or they're clever, or maybe that's going to be a great conversation starter. We'll see how we go. But there are four main methods of epistemology. And the first one is this, it's intuitive knowledge. And this takes the form such as belief, faith, and intuition. It's based on feelings rather than cold, hard facts. And then there's authoritative knowledge, and that's based on information received from people, books, or a supreme being. And its strength depends on the strength of these sources. Then there's logical knowledge. It's arrived at by reasoning from point A, which is generally accepted, to point B, the new knowledge. And then finally, there is the most well-respected approach, and that's empirical knowledge and it's based on demonstrable objective facts which are determined through observation and or experimentation. And in academic study, it is the empirical knowledge that's treated with the most respect. And Empirical knowledge is excellent, it's helpful, I think it's really important, but it has limitations which is seen in the area of love. If we try and understand love only through empirical facts, then it becomes about little more than brain chemistry. And we miss the richness and the depths of love. You know, scientists have helpfully broken down what makes us feel love. You know, when someone says, oh, I feel so in love with that person. They've discovered that there are a couple of hormones, such as dopamine, which are highly active when we feel love. So is that all love is? Is it just these chemicals going through our brain that are making us perceive this thing, and we're going to give it the word love? So the atheist response to the existence of love is that it's a feeling, and it has an evolutionary origin. We believe love exists. It's the word we use to describe these chemical reactions we feel. It makes us seem a little bit just like addicts to these feelings. And we've developed this sensation as a survival mechanism, attaching us to groups of people for our well-being. But hopefully you do, and most people do, realize love is so much bigger than that. It's bigger than this experience and this explanation. It has beauty and depth and there's a supernatural concept outside of these modern approaches to finding truth. And it's what God has placed in the center of all of our life. Love is the center of life. And if that's the case, we have an enemy, as we found out about last week. And he's done this job of distorting it and shrinking love. The truth is that love is more significant than a feeling. It's much bigger than brain chemistry. It's about more than pleasure, connection, and enjoyment. Love is about more than survival. Many people will agree with Jesus that love is the most important thing, as long as love means deep connection, pleasure, and enjoyment. And I even hear Christians do this. They reduce all of God's commands down to love. And it seems that's all they're promoting. That people would feel nice towards each other, maybe. So we need to ask again, what is love and how can we discover it? Well, let me present to you a three-statement argument that might help us to discover real love. A, at the heart of our world is love. B, it's there because God put it there. C, Therefore, we need to go to God to understand it. At the heart of our world is love. It is there because God put it there. Therefore, we need to go to God to understand it. Love is central to life, and it cannot have come through naturalistic means. Therefore, it had a supernatural origin, and we should go back to that supernatural origin to discover what true love is so that we can have it define our lives. And that's the argument that the Apostle John makes as he refl- reflects on living for Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And John believed that Jesus was the full embodiment of God's love. So what truth about love, we must ask, did Jesus show us? What truth about love that is transforming for us and for the world? If you were to ask Jesus, what is love, what would he say? What would he say? So let's have a look. What would Jesus say? The first thing that Jesus would say, if you were to ask him, what is love, is that it's not about a feeling. In fact, it's about sacrificing yourself for the good of another. John 15, 12 to 13, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one life, one's life for one's friends. Jesus says that our love needs to be modeled on his love. And he loved by sacrificing himself. Love is a man hanging on a tree with his heart poured out for you and for me. God loves you. This is what love is. And if we do not know how to lay ourselves down for others, then we do not know love. When I was a younger man, I used to think I was pretty good at this love thing. I thought, I'm a kind person, I'm a nice person, people like to spend time with me. I'm a really loving person. And then something happened that made me question this. I got married. And when I got married, I discovered something a little bit different and a little bit revealing. I discovered that actually, I kind of wanted to do things my way, right? I wanted to have things my way. And then, but there was this whole other person in my life who wanted things her way. Uh, I... I, I was frustrated because my wife went to bed too early and she wanted me to go to bed early with her as well. What was that about? She wanted to talk about things and then she wanted to talk about things some more and talk about things some more. She didn't care about sport and she liked to do things that were good for us like meat-free Mondays and go for walks and all of these things. And I discovered that actually at the root of myself, I'm a very selfish person. I really just want to do life my way. I thought love was supposed to be about finding that person that would want everything I wanted. But that's not love. Instead, Jesus shows that love is the dance of giving and receiving. It requires communication and negotiation. And it's often about surrender and sacrifice meeting others' needs rather than my own. Marriage has shown me that love is about giving up my life for another, when I feel like it and when I don't. And if that wasn't bad enough, then I had kids. (laughs) Right? I I love my kids. But uh, when you have young kids, you don't have any time for yourself. It's all about giving to them. I mean, many parents might relate to this, but there are times when I feel like my kids are just giant energy-sucking leeches. (laughs) They just want more and more and more from you, right? And you learn that love is not just about getting what you want, but it's about laying yourself down, meeting their wants and their needs. And in that process, man, don't you get so much back? But it is first about sacrifice. Jesus shows us that the kind of love that God has hardwired into the universe is self-sacrificial love. And it doesn't make sense outside of a Christian concept. It's the most satisfying and most challenging thing you will ever experience. So Jesus' love is so different than our modern definition. Firstly, it's sacrificial. Secondly, it does not discriminate. Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that the law says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. There may be no more radical thing that Jesus taught than to love our enemies. The radical thing about the love that Jesus shows us is that it's not just those who we have nice feelings towards, it's for all people. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were enemies from God, Jesus died for us. And he calls us to love those who've sinned against us. This is why forgiveness is central to the teaching of Christianity. Jesus calls us to show kindness even to the people who most hurt us. Uh, Recently, I had a situation where I was offended by something someone did to me. They did something and I was like, oh, that offends me. Um, and there was a part of me that really wanted to hold on to that hurt and to push that person away from my life. But I knew to do that would be to actually limit my enjoyment of life and the relationships in it. So I I worked hard and I met up with the person and was able to offer forgiveness. And i tell you what, uh, it might have been good for them, but it was great for me. It was so freeing. It was so freeing. It was like a burden had been lifted off. Is so much better than the other way of doing love. The other way of doing love that I read about in the advice columns often is, well, if that person has really hurt you, maybe it's time you just find somebody else. If that thing's not quite working out the way that you want, maybe it's time. Maybe you should just limit your relationship with that person. And I get it. There are times that we need to do that for safety and for other reasons. But the way of Christ's love is actually to offer forgiveness first and to try and seek reconciliation and to try and move towards that. Such, it was such a better way. So, love is sacrificial, it's indiscriminate. And thirdly, it's found in aligning ourselves with God. Jesus says this those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. We can't just say that we love God because we feel connected to Him. Love is found in obedience to God. He is the one who made love and designed the world. So we look to him and his way of doing life. Love in its fullness is experienced by doing life God's way. And this is not restrictive, it's freeing. I think there are two extremes we need to avoid. The first one is this. It says, if you don't follow every commandment 100% correct, then you have no place in God's kingdom. I think we need to avoid that extreme. That's legalism. And those commands, they will control you. The second extreme is the one that says, forget God's commands, just love. And I have seen both of these unhealthy extremes in my time leading in church life. And this is dangerous. The second one is dangerous because when we say that, when we do that, we define love for ourselves and we neglect God and we neglect others. But Jesus presents this fantastic balance. Love and obedience are not enemies, he says, but they are friends. The more you obey God with a heart of devotion, the more you discover real love. And the more you love God, the more you know God and receive the fullness of his love in return. You know, here's an interesting idea, and you might disagree with this, but I think this is something to consider. I think that we are beginning to see more of God's type of love practiced in the world, even by those who don't confess Jesus. There is sacrificialness, a loving of everyone, even an adherence to good morals that's consistent with God's way of life. And we shouldn't be surprised or upset by this. Instead, I think we should celebrate it. God created our need for true love. And people are beginning to experience it. They are reflecting his nature. We're made in God's image. So it's it's natural that we would begin to reflect this way of love. And what's happening here is in opening themselves to the true nature of love, they are moving themselves closer, even though they're not there yet, closer to the giver of love. They're moving themselves closer to God. And we can show them where their desire to love like that comes from. Wow, you love in an amazing way. Where does that come from, do you think? Why do you think you define love that way? Where do you think that comes from? It comes from the one who gave love in the first place. It comes from Jesus who gave it all for you. Why don't you come to know him? If we manage all of that, loving in a way that is sacrificial, indiscriminate, and devoted in obedience, then it will allow the truth of God to become evident to everyone around us. John 13, 34 to 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The thing that we are to be known for is the way that we love. Primarily, the way that we love each other. This is to be a distinctiveness to the way that we love that means others recognize us. Let's think about chocolate for a second. It's a good second, right? Let's think specifically about Whitaker's chocolate. Whitaker's chocolate is known as one of the most trusted brands in New Zealand. Other people do chocolate, but there is something about the way Whitaker's does chocolate that makes them one of the most trusted names in New Zealand. There's a creaminess and a richness that is distinctively Whitakers. I actually meant to bring some chocolate and pass it out, probably only to the front row, but I wouldn't tease you with that. Well, let's think about the All Blacks for a second, who are playing this afternoon for the first time in a long time. When you think of the All Blacks, what is it about them that makes them distinctive? Because there is, isn't there? There's something about the way the All Blacks play. There is an open, running, exciting rugby that the All Blacks play that we love to watch. There's a distinctiveness. And actually, if you watch another team like Ireland in recent years, you you watch them and you think, oh, that reminds me of the way the All Blacks play. They've caught on to our trademark, and some of them are doing it just as well as we have. So it is to be with us as Christians. There is to be a distinctiveness to the way that we love. That others aspire to replicate. They look at that and they go, "What have you got? Why? Why do you so open and welcoming? and why do you love others so well? Why do you look after those who are needy so well? Why do you uh, not take on offense the way other people do? Why do you not just look out for your own rights, but also seem to care about the rights of others so much? There is to be a distinctiveness. To the way that we love, that others aspire to replicate. This is the truth that Jesus presented to us that God's love is at the center of life. Therefore, we need to embody this love noticeably in the way that we do everything, but especially the way that we deal with truth. See, sometimes love and truth seem to be at odds, but we actually need to be, uh, we need to have both. Because truth without love. There's noise. Paul David Tripp says that theology without love simply is very bad theology. But the other side, love without truth, it's fake. There's no depth to it. There's nothing real to love without truth. Love and truth together bring influence. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Truth and love together fuel the church's worship, their discipleship and their mission. And we need to be those who embody God's way of love and choose to embody that love that he wants to show to the world. D.L. Moody once said this. He said, out of 100 people outside the church, one might pick up a Bible and read read it, but 99 will read the Christian. Out of 100 people outside the church, one might pick up a Bible and read it, but 99 will read the Christian. People come to know who Jesus are by looking at our lives. And if they can see truth, that what we say about the world is true, and they can see love worked out, then it will make a big, big difference. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.